You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. Good morning, sports fans. Mike Andoffo here in the 1450 WXVW Sports Buzz Studios. Getting you ready for a beautiful Saturday morning. And it's, of course, an exciting Saturday here in Louisville because it is thunder. And uh, I can only imagine uh, how crazy it's going to be with just weather in the 80s. It could be 80 at least. And uh, the Blue Angels are in town and the energy. And if you've been anywhere close to the river over the last couple of days and you've seen those planes do their practice and fly overhead, it was just, it's been completely amazing. I can't believe how closely together those Blue Angels fly. It's, at times, they're only 18 inches apart and they're going 300 plus miles an hour in perfect formation and doing all those different maneuvers. And it is just phenomenal. It is going to be an incredible day uh, today out there for Thunder. Um, and I, I for one, am uh, really excited about getting out there. But we have a lot of sports stuff to talk about today as well. And we've got a very action-packed show and uh, full of guests. And uh, we're basically going to take all three schools and we're going to wrap up the college basketball season, you know, briefly. But we're going to talk about spring football. Louisville had their spring football game last night. The uh, Bobby Petrino offense was on full display uh, Indiana has their spring football game today. We'll have Jeff Rabjohns on uh, at 9:40 to talk about uh, Indiana foot, spring football, but also kind of what's going to you know where's the Indiana basketball program going from here. And I, I for one, am very curious about all three basketball programs going into next year. UK has got to be sitting on pins and needles, wondering what's going to happen with who's going to stay and who's going to go because. You know, I think most people anticipate that Randall and James Young are going to go. And even though Willie Cauley Stein's talking about he's going to stay, most people have got to think that he's probably going to go. It really, he really needs to go for him. It's probably his best chance to get uh, a top uh, draft pick. And then it comes down to the Harrison Twins. And they'll be fine at the four and five position. Um, you know, you're got, you still are going to have, you know, Dakari Johnson might go, but I, I would expect for him to come back. You're going to have Marcus Lee. You're going to uh, – Alex Poitras could go either way, but if Alex Poitras comes back, I would anticipate that he's playing a lot of three, which is a very uh, interesting thing for him because that would make it very compelling for me to come back if I was Alex Poitras because the, if you can show that you can play that three efficiently in the college game, uh, that would be very beneficial for him as far as the draft goes. Um they're going to have – they got Trey Lyles coming in. They've got uh, Carl Towns coming in. They've got plenty of size down low. If they lose the Harrison Twins and James Young, they're going to have a huge scoring void to fill that is going to be very difficult. They have Devin Booker coming in, who's a great shooter. They have Tyler Eulis coming in, who has put up some pretty big-time point totals in his high school games, but – it's kind of hard to tell about how really great of a scorer he is. And you basically got Booker, Alex Poitras, if he plays the three, Eulis, uh, and Dominique Hawkins. And those are your that's your outside presence. That's it. So if Booker comes out of the game, you're playing Eulis and, and Hawkins together. Maybe Derek Willis even gets a spot at some, some looks at the three. I don't know, to get just to get some scoring out there. I don't know where the points are going to come from the outside. It could be very difficult for this Kentucky team. I, it scares me a little bit, and it's starting to make me wonder if we couldn't have just kind of a, a step-back season uh, as a Kentucky fan. 
Uh, and Louisville's got the questions too. Obviously, their questions are the exact reverse. They're going to be fine at the guard spot. Losing a great player like Russ Smith and Luke Hancock is tough, but they've got just so many weapons uh, on that bench at the guard spot. They're still going to have Terry Rozier, who I'm going to look. Uh, and if you didn't see, Terry Rozier was actually named a preseason All-American already for next year, uh, I think by ESPN. So that, that's a guy that is going to be ready to step up. They got uh, they got Jones. They got Anton Gill, who didn't get to play a lot, but he's ready to go and play some big minutes. They've got talent at that guard spot. Their things is like, what are these big guys? Now, they got a lot of big guys. It's not like Kentucky where they don't even just have the guys. Louisville's going to have the big guys. It's just which one of these young big guys is going to step up and be ready to play? Is Mango ready to be center stage? And and then which one of the new guys coming in, a Jalen Johnson, uh, an, an Anas Mahmoud, um, a Shinanu Anawaku, which one of those guys is going to be ready to really to play? Uh, I I would anticipate that Stotsman would probably get redshirted. Maybe another one of those guys gets redshirted too. And then, of course, with Indiana, they've got – questions they they've got questions on both sides they need to have more outside scoring but they've got two great outside scorers coming in with James Blackman and Robert Johnson what are they going to do down low because right now it's looking like Hannah Pereira and Devin Davis and that it's in Alex Jerk or Peter Jerkin sorry and that's about it so I'm very uh, excited to talk to Jeff Rabjohn today about kind of what is IU thinking uh, they've got to find even if it's, you know, they've got to find a big body somewhere. You know, someone that can eat up some minutes for them. And I know they're looking heavily at some fifth-year guys. Um, and it'll just be interesting to see how this all plays out for IU. But we'll get the update from Jeff Rabjohns. 10 o'clock hour is Mark Blankenbaker from thecrunchzone.com, my former co-host on this show, talking again about the Louisville Spring football game. And we'll talk a little basketball there. And then uh, the 10-20 uh, uh, segment will be – uh, Evan Daniels, scout.com, the, the national basketball recruiting guru. And we will talk Derby Classic, which is next Friday night. Of course, I'm a little biased. I'm a little overly involved with that game. Uh, the Derby Classic coming up. We'll we'll break down the Derby Classic rosters with the number one recruiting guru in college basketball. And uh, I'm excited for that. And I hope you all get out and, and get your tickets for the Derby Classic Show up to Freedom Hall Friday. We put this on for you all. You know, I, again, I, I always talk about how I'm a volunteer. I don't make any money off the Derby Classic. It's strictly something that I want to do for the community. And I want you guys to show up. I mean, this is this is for the people in this community who love basketball. And we've got a great roster, 14 of the top 15 players in the, 50 players in the country. And uh, it's going to be outstanding. Tickets are still available at Ticketmaster. And for that either $13 or $18 ticket price, you not only get the game Friday night, but you get the Night of the Future Stars at Floyd Central High School the night before, which if you were out there last year, it was phenomenal. If you can't make it out, the Night of the Future Stars is going to be streamed live on LiveSportsCaster.com. Uh, Matt McCarthy, who uh, helps produce this show, runs that website, and they, do a, they did a phenomenal job with it last year. So we're really excited about that. Uh, there's, so we're not going to have – and then the last segment today, we're going to have at, at 10.40 – Real quick, we're going to have Brian, the insider, call in. We're going to talk a little derby because uh, this is the last big derby prep race weekend with the Arkansas Derby and the Bluegrass Stakes. And uh, these are the last 200-point races, if you're familiar with the uh, Churchill Downs point system for getting into the derby. And I got the uh, opportunity to hear John Asher speak Thursday night at the Louisville Sportsman Supper Club. Um, And it was amazing to hear how wide open this derby field is. 
Uh, California Chrome has definitely solidified himself as the favorite right now. But we have had 31 Derby prep races that have been won by 28 different horses. That is crazy. And uh, and quite ironically, uh, John Asher said the, the horse that might have been the favorite two weeks ago is in danger of even even making the race, of even qualifying with enough points. And it's just uh, incredible to, to think that that could be the case. So uh, we're going to have, uh, if you're going to call in, the next segment's the best time, uh, 384-1450 on the Oxmore 4 Lincoln Buzz Line. Uh, we also have the Masters going on, which I know a lot of people around here really love golf and they like watching um, the Masters. A little bit different this year without Tiger Woods. I just uh, It's hard for me to really get into it without Tiger, and I'm a guy who wants to root against Tiger, but I love the drama generally that the Masters provides on the last day. And uh, right now, uh, I think Watson has a three-stroke lead, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, yeah, Bubba Watson, three-stroke lead over uh, over John Sinden, I guess is how you say his name. And uh, going in today, that's a pretty good lead, but you know it's early. There's not too many guys that can hold that lead for that long. And I anticipate he's at minus seven right now, and I anticipate that the scores are going to get a lot closer to even uh, as the greens get firmer. They have beautiful weather down there. The greens are going to get firmer. And the putts are going to get a little bit tougher, um, but Bubba Watson right now, the American leading um, the the Masters down in Augusta. And uh, we'll we'll finish off this segment real quick, but with my Cincinnati Reds update because you know I got to have at least six minutes to talk about the Cincinnati Reds, and we're going to talk a little baseball in this show during baseball season. And the Reds are not off to a great start. It's been um, it's been difficult. But I think it's also been, in my estimation, a little bit anticipated. Uh, the Reds are not completely healthy right now. Uh, missing Matt Latos is a big one. Missing Orales Chapman, although uh, good news, bad news there. Latos was scratched from his rehab start, so he did not pitch this week. Is probably not going to be ready to come back into the club. Uh, whereas uh, Chapman got out and threw the other day and ran a little bit um, and is doing doing pretty well and that's just an amazing story considering that Chapman takes that line drive off the face in spring training has to get a metal plate put into his uh his skull there and we the Reds obviously need him back I mean he's the electric factor if, if they've got a lead the problem is they've got to get there to where they have a lead at the end of the game and uh, I don't know exactly how that's going to work for them because it seems to me that the Reds are going to go how Billy Hamilton goes and that's a lot to put on a rookie um, who's not known as being a great hitter. But when he got on base this week, he makes some things happen. And it's just pretty incredible to see Billy Hamilton in that if you missed it, Wednesday in St. Louis, he got on base three times. He had a, a leadoff double to start the game. And he uh, easily scored because, I mean, his, his speed is just unmatched. Uh, later in the game, he actually got on to he got on first base and he uh, with just a regular single and stole second so easily that y- that Yadier Molina didn't even throw down the second. And if you don't cover baseball, if you don't watch baseball, Molina might be the best defensive catcher in the game. And as far as throwing people out, he's just he's unbelievable. And uh, so Molina couldn't didn't even didn't even attempt to make the throw. And then Hamilton steals third. And then, or actually, I'm sorry, he didn't steal third. He tagged up on a shallow fly ball to right field to to take third. 
But then there was basically a pop-up to second base that the right fielder did catch, but the second baseman easily could have caught it as well. He tagged up from third, made it to home in 3.1 seconds, and scored for the Reds. And I just, I mean, that was, that's unbelievable. Now the problem is, is that he is hitting just an abysmal, like, buck 92. And he does not understand how yet how to work a count. And if this kid can figure out how to only swing at strikes and how to uh, – it's going to get so much easier for him because if he's very careful – right now he's chasing so much and he's just trying to put the bat on the ball and he's trying to get on base that he's swinging at a lot of bad pitches and he's popping up a lot of things. This guy needs to put it on the ground and he needs to only swing at strikes. And the better his eye gets and the better he gets at just looking to swing at strikes – the more effective he's going to be. And because he'll be able to see those strikes, the pitchers will have to feel the pressure of throwing him strikes because they know if they walk him, it's basically a double. So he'll be able to sit back, get the pitch he wants, and place it where he wants. But right now, that's what it comes down to. He has got to figure out uh, what you know how to, how to hit and have to come up there with a plan because right now I don't see, I don't see him going up there with any plan whatsoever. And that's a big issue, uh, and I just—it's I, a lot of pressure, like I said, to put on this rookie center fielder who's not a center fielder naturally. He's, a, he's an infielder, and he's a little bit of a defensive liability. But if he gets on base, the Reds are in great shape. If he doesn't get on base, they're going to struggle to score. And the pitching that right now is a little—not suspect, but you know—with Latos being out, with Chapman being out, uh, Broxton's out. They—they've got. Guys that have to come back and and they're they're filling in spots right now. You know, Alfredo Simon's starting pitching right now for the for the Reds. Uh, Tony Singrani's doing a great job, but then there's the then there's Homer Bailey, and this is a guy that I was very reluctant to see the Reds give the big contract that they gave to Homer Bailey because I was afraid, and it's looking like this could be the case that if you give Homer Bailey this big multi year contract, you know. 13 17 million dollars a year whatever it is um, you're putting a lot of money into a guy who is he's not the most mentally tough player in the world and we've seen it before where a, co- a player gets a huge contract and he just rests on his laurels you know he's got his money and he just doesn't perform the way that he's capable of doing and I'm afraid that it could be what we're gonna see out of Homer Bailey he's not off to a great start so the Reds right now three and seven. Uh, bottom of the National League, not just the National League Central, the worst record in baseball. They're the only team in baseball with only three wins. And uh, it's it's just not great. I mean, they've got to come. Luckily, it's early, you know, so a lot of things can change. You know, you're only four games under 500 right now. You get hot at the right time. Things can definitely move around. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, surprisingly, have the best record in the National League at 8-2. and two. And, uh, and actually, that's the best record in baseball at 8-2. and two where the American League looks very, 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 very close. No team has more than six wins in the American League, and no team has fewer than four wins. So you either, if you're in the American League right now, you either have four, five, or six wins. So, how, I mean, that's unbelievable how close those races are in the American League already. Um, even, you know, we're just you know, 10, 11, 12 games into it. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. Next segment will be uh, dedicated to uh, Kentucky football and basketball talk. We'll be right back on... The Weekend Sports Bus. 
listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. All right, sports fans, we are back here on the Weekend Sports Buzz. This is Mike Andolfo. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at DerbyBBClassic. Uh, make sure you can tweet in any kind of questions or stuff like that. You can also call me Oxmoor Ford Lincoln Buzz Line 384-1450. Also want to send us send a special shout out to Brandon J Lawrence, our uh, sponsor for the show. The Weekend Sports Buzz is brought to you by Brandon J Lawrence, personal injury attorney. Call 502-587-0041 to reach the best personal injury attorney in the city of Louisville. Just want to do a quick reminder too uh, if if you're a golfer. And if you're loving today if you're a golfer because this is like the best golf weather we've had um, so far this year. And it looks like tomorrow is going to be even better. You have to come, you have to go to the WX or uh, the 1450 the Sports Buzz website and get the golf cart because the golf cart is, is the thing for golfers in this area. They went very fast last year. The 2014 Sports Buzz golf cart is hot off the presses. This, year car, this year's card features Chariot Run, Glen Oaks, Polo Fields, Heritage Hill, Woodhaven Country Club, Jeffersonville Elks, Valley View, and Christmas Lake Golf Course in Santa Claus, Indiana. You can play these great courses for under $25 a round with the 2014 Sports Buzz Golf Card. This year's card includes a coupon for a bucket of range balls and free drink at Chariot Run. There are a limited number of cards, so get yours today, 1450thesportsbuzz.com slash golf card. And I uh, definitely encourage people to get that golf cart early and take advantage of some great golf this year. So we're going to dedicate this segment to uh, talking a little bit about UK. Uh, UK's basketball season was going to come to the end one way or the other on Monday. just did not obviously come to the end the way that we were hoping uh, that it would. And I'm sure there's some Louisville fans and Indiana fans would disagree with me, but the way this Kentucky fan here wanted the game to come to end. Um, Connecticut had this very magical run, very similar to, to 2011 in some ways. And, and just, they were a team of destiny. I mean, and Kentucky looked very tired in that game. Um, you know, obviously Connecticut had the same schedule, so it's nothing to take away from UConn at all. I just felt like the, the mistakes that, that the, and UConn looked tired at times too, but they just looked like they were a little bit more mentally tough and they were able to handle the the exhaustion that you had to feel of being on that stage. I mean, I and I couldn't even imagine. I mean, if you're you're on that stage, you're 18, 19, 20 years old, the emotional exhaustion you must feel at that time, waiting around all day till nine, nine thirty at night to even get out there and play. But then the last three weeks have just been so taxing with all the travel and the and the games on one day's rest and it just showed. I mean, Kentucky, Kentucky's mistakes were tired mistakes, and uh, that includes going 13 for 24 from the free throw line. I'm not going to say that free throws cost them. I just don't. I mean, because they definitely could have made up for things in other ways. I mean, they were they had the ball 12 times down one in this in that game. Kentucky did and couldn't score on any of those 12 possessions. Um, Connecticut out rebounded Kentucky, which is something that. We haven't seen uh, this. I mean, the rebounding effort was not atrocious, but just was very unlike this this Kentucky team and and rebounding's effort. And and that's that's where I saw saw the tiredness come in. And then of course the turnovers, thirteen turnovers, 
which for this Kentucky team in the tournament has been just just incredibly high. UConn took advantage. They played really well. Napier is an, a, a great player. Said a little, not controversial thing at the end of the tournament. You know, he wanted everybody to get everybody's attention. He was very clear about that. <laughs> and uh, said something about the NCAA banning them last year because of their APR score being low. You know what? That's that's the rules. And you got to always worry about that. And that's the one thing that is pretty amazing, I think, about what Cal does is that they don't have usually have to face those APR problems. They Those kids finish the second semester. And if you're not familiar with it, and everyone says, oh, they just don't go to class the second semester and they just go straight to the draft, they have to go to class and they have to at least show that they were on track to progress academically or it could be it could hurt Kentucky. It could actually – they would have the same fate as, as UConn potentially and they would have to sit out if your APR score is too low. So Kentucky's got to keep those guys that even after they declare for the draft – Somewhat engaged for the next couple of weeks. I mean, the semester's almost over. It basically is over right around derby time. So those guys have got to stay somewhat engaged in, in school even after they declare for the draft and finish the semester and at least show that they were progressing the way they were supposed to towards a degree. Now, once they leave, it it's not like the graduation rate where it just doesn't even it doesn't affect all that. So um, the APA, the APR score has to be at a certain level for you to make the tournament. And that's just the way it is. And I thought that was kind of an immature statement by Napier, like those guys were against him. Uh, but I just didn't think I, – I thought for Kentucky to win that game, Dakari Johnson was going to have to play amazing and uh, and had the potential to because of his matchup. And this is why I don't think Dakari is going to go pro. I mean, he had a chance to go up against two – Big guys. I mean, Nolan's a big guy, and Brahma is huge. And he didn't perform against those guys. I mean, he, basically, it was going to be where a place where he should have had the obvious upper hand. He gets four rebounds and only five points. And I just I didn't see it out of Dakari. Um, it was kind of a disappointing performance by him, and then. So I had to, even though he had a great tournament, I had to, and then someone would draft him. I don't think there's any question someone would draft him just because of his potential. But he is a guy that could come back and really improve his draft stock. To me, it's, it really comes down to the, the number 20 pick, and I'm sure people have heard this all week long. If you're a top 20 pick, it's hard to improve your draft stock. I, it's hard for me to even come up with a guy who would have been a top 20 pick and came back and improved their draft stock. If you're a top 20 guy, you got to go. If you're a late first rounder, which I think Dakari would be if he went, you probably could come back and do it. And the three guys that have the potential of doing that, Dakari and the Twins, would all be better served by coming back and getting their chance to work themselves up the draft order because this, this group coming in, this 2015 or 14 class that they're going to be freshmen next year, um, that would be in the 2015 draft. There's not a lot of obvious one and dones in this class. You know, there might be six, maybe seven or eight that will come out of that class and be one and done. So there's going to be a lot more potential for these um, upperclassmen, if you want to call a sophomore an upperclassman, to improve their draft stock. Uh, now, I think that Aaron Harrison's probably worked himself into where he would be a late first-round draft pick, and Andrew would be 
square on the edge of the first and second round. And he uh, that's not something I would fool around with. Where they come back, and we've already mentioned how how light Kentucky will be at the guard spot in those perimeter spots, they're going to be able to, to just take over. And Devin Booker kind of needs that because he's more geared towards uh, starting out as being the uh, not the first option. You know, if he's the second or third option, he's going to have a much better showing and it's going to set him up because Devin Booker is a four-year player. And for him to be more successful as a sophomore, junior, and senior, he's going to he does not need to go out and be that the guy his freshman year. He doesn't really have that personality, in my opinion. Um, great player, great shooter, but that's going to make him even more impressive. If, if they have to, if teams have to worry about the twins, and Booker can start at the three or come off the bench at the two, but definitely at times would play with the twins. You would see. Teams decide who they have to guard, and he'd get wide open looks, and he'll be very effective. And this team, if the Twins come back, this to me is the key because this team will be very good next year if the Twins are coming back. If they don't come back, I'm, I just don't know what to expect. And uh, I would think that they would have a chance to, you know, win some serious hardware, not just a national championship, but, you know, maybe some, you know, all SEC, maybe even some honorable mention, all American type awards if they came back. So. Uh, that's a wrap-up to the basketball season, though, and we'll just have to go on. And, and of course, Kentucky's spring football game is two weeks away from today. And, and I have not been following this very closely because, uh, you know, it's it, there's been a lot of basketball going on. And that's it's kind of been the funny thing compared to this year and last year with football. It worked out really good for Stoops last year with football because of the disappointing basketball season last year at Kentucky. And they were able to get all that momentum and all that run-up to the spring football game and, of course, had this big, huge crowd at the spring football game, which I did go to, which was pretty awesome atmosphere. I didn't stay the whole time, and I don't, I don't know if a lot of people did or not. Um, but this year, you haven't heard much about the spring game at all. And if you've been following in the newspaper, you're hearing that uh, Stoops is so, um, so solid. I mean, he feels so much more solid about his team this year. And it, it all starts, again, with the quarterback um, with the quarterbacks, we were trying to get someone on from the Kentucky media to, to come on today, but they've got a, a spring practice this morning, so all those guys are out there covering practice. And I think they're actually even scrimmaging today. But the quarterback position, you got five guys at this quarterback position, and they all think that they got a chance of starting. You know, Drew Barker coming in, hoping in that he's gonna gets a handle of it so that he can go out there and start. Uh, from all accounts, Reese Phillips might have been the best quarterback out there last year, but he redshirted. Maxwell Smith's trying to get healthy and come out and play. I heard earlier Stoops say that Patrick Tolles has made the most improvement in the offseason so far of all these quarterbacks. So we might actually see the Patrick Tolles that we all thought we were going to see. And then there's Jalen Whitlow, who, of course, is the returning starter. you got an offensive line at Kentucky that's going to return four guys. Now, I know they, they weren't always great, but when you're returning that much experience at the offensive line and you've got – which probably going to be a, not a, I mean, I think they're going to be better at the quarterback position for sure. But now they've got this core of receivers. I mean, if you don't remember last year, they had, there was hardly any receivers at all. And they've got this, this, this core of receivers that they can go to, you know, with Javis Blue and Jeff Bidette and uh, Ryan Timmons and DeMarco Robinson. And then you bring in a, a Thaddeus Snodgrass, um, who's supposed to be just really electric. Uh, I can't wait to see that guy. They've got a great group of tight ends. 
You got Josh Clemens back at the right at the at the running back spot. JoJo Kemp at the running back spot. I mean, it is going to be a, a really solid group on that offense, and I think you're going to start to see Neil Brown's offense because now that he's got the weapons he needs to come out and, and play the way that they thought they were going to play. The question to me is going to be on the defensive side. You know, are we going to see that improvement on the defensive side? I know that Mark Stoops loves his defensive tackles, that he feels like his defensive line is going to be able to go up there and look the part. And then I even heard an interview with him earlier this week, and he was talking about how Zadarius Smith is even bigger than he was last year. And I mean, he's he was such a monster anyway. And uh, and that and there looks sounds like they're thinking about or they're in the process. Uh, I guess not even in the process. I think it's official that they're they're taking a guy like Jason Hatcher and moving him possibly to even a linebacker spot and getting him some more snaps. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with this Kentucky team. I know that he that Stoops has loved the energy. He loves the enthusiasm. He feels like they're way ahead of where they were last year with uh, with spring practice. Spring practice or uh, the spring football game for Kentucky is two weeks from today, and it is an afternoon game. Um, it should be interesting. It should be interesting to see what kind of crowd they have out there. I I do not do not hear about as many Kentucky fans going out there this year as I did last year for sure. Um, I know my group of friends is not going out there. Uh, it, we uh, around here we I just I'm full fledged into the Derby Festival events and can't really get away. Unfortunately, if it was a night game, we possibly could have done it, but they're playing in the afternoon because of the the renovations at Commonwealth Stadium, and they're trying to uh, get all that stuff done before the football season starts. So I don't think the lights are available. All right, we are going to go to a, a break. We'll be right back on the other side, and we'll be joined by Jeff Rabjohns with Pigs.com to talk a little Indiana. to the weekend sports buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln buzz line at 384-1450. All right, sports fans, Mike Gandolfo back here. Again, you can tweet me at Derby BB Classic. And uh, this is the weekend sports buzz brought to you by Brandon J. Lawrence, personal injury attorney. Call 502-587-0041 to reach one of the best personal injury attorneys in the city of Louisville. And as always, the Oxmoor Ford Lincoln Buzz Line is 384-1450. And we are, uh, while, while Matt tries to get our guests on the line, we're going to go straight to the Oxmoor Ford Lincoln Buzz Line to talk to the number one Indiana fan, the truth. What's happening, man? How you doing? I am doing fine. Yeah? You know you're ready for Friday night, ain't you? I'm getting a little, you know, I get a little, I get a little nervous, a little anxious, uh, you know, a little excited. You know, yeah. Get the ki- the the first thing for me is just getting the kids in Wednesday, having them all have all the flights. It seems like that Wednesday, we always have bad weather and and flights get delayed and all that other stuff. So just getting them here is a big part of it. So, but yes, I'm very excited. How's ticket sales going? Ticket sales are going good. I mean, I think we'll have a, a pretty strong crowd, and uh, it should be a lot of fun out there. And there's a lot. You know, I think with the uh, questions that both IU and U of L have, I think they want to see if the guys that are going to be out there are going to be able to fill those gaps. So, I know what's causing 
uh, Robert Johnson is going to definitely. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I was talking. I was talking earlier this week on one of the other stations that I could totally see Robert Johnson and Quentin Snyder battling out in the finals of a three-point shootout, and that would be pretty amazing uh, to, to see those two guys go at it because they can both stroke it. I did not. Didn't he just get MVP on a tournament last week or something? Robert Johnson. Yes. Um, I don't know. I didn't know he was in. Another I thought game. It, I thought he was in another game. He went through the went down the big. I thought I seen it on the Big Ten Network that he was the most valuable player at some t- tournament. I will look it up and see if I can find and, uh, it for you. What's going on, recruiting? Uh, you see any? You, you see anybody coming in, uh, in, over the weekend? Well, nothing yet, but we are trying to get Jeff Rabjohns, uh, who from Peaks dot com, on the line with us, and we're going to get the latest on that. But right now, we're having trouble getting through to him. So, um, hopefully, we can get him on, and we can uh, we can find out if he's going to be, you know, what's going on. I think their their best bet is still to grab one of those fifth year guys and. Unfortunately, the kid from Temple was really probably the one they really wanted, and then he went to Ohio State and committed right away. I mean, he didn't even look further after that. And um, I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't. It's going to be very interesting. I, I could see a situation where they almost put a, a team out there that kind of looks like how Wisconsin played last year, where Troy, Troy almost goes to play the four spot, then they just play with four perimeter guys. But Troy's That's what go. I've been telling everybody. I told everybody, you better look out. It's going to be three-point city. And it's going to have to be. I mean, and then you're going to have to get big minutes out of Devin Davis, who I actually think is capable of playing some big minutes. And uh, you're going to I get, think he is, too. You're going to have to get big minutes out of Hanner. And uh, that's the question mark. Is Hanner is the most athletic, gifted person probably on that group. And if he, if he really works at fine-tuning his game, I mean, he could have a breakout season. Peter Jerkins, I don't know what happened to his game. I think he's too much uh, eating up everything and blooming the food and trying to put on weight. Well, I mean, this is—I mean, if he's ever going to get a chance, it's going to be this year. I mean, we're gonna, if he doesn't play a lot this year, then it's like, why is he even? Why is he even eating up a scholarship? You know, I just, I've been—I've been hearing about uh, two uh, some somebody on the walk-on in the state of Indiana going to try to walk on to Indiana. I I've, uh, I wouldn't be surprised there. I mean, I'm sure they always go after a couple of those guys anyway. But uh, you know, I don't. As far as them making a an, an impact, unless the kid's six yeah. eleven and six ten, uh, I don't know how much of an impact it's going to really make. You know, are I you, think they're going to give. Go I ahead. I think they're going to give. I think they're going to give him uh, uh, two more years, and then I think the heat going to start coming on him. Well, I think the heat's coming on him now, uh, and he's going to definitely have to be able to. If he doesn't recruit a big guy in this class, I don't know if they're going to wait. You know, it could be – it'll be interesting because it's, it's unfortunate and it's kind of short-sighted. I mean, if he, if he didn't bow out early in the tournament two years ago, then he probably would have had a little bit more of a reprieve. But he had one of the four best teams in the country, was the number one seed, and uh, Indiana was hungry to get to that Final Four, and it didn't happen. Um, and now they've kind of taken – Couple steps back, and to not even make the NIT. You, I mean, that's. Do you hear what I'm hearing? What's that? The Brad Stevens call. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure that would be their first call for sure. I mean, I and and I think he Brad would definitely listen. I don't know if he comes or not, but I think he would definitely have to listen. He'll take it. It listen. would be his dream job. Listen. His family's here and all that kind of stuff, and 
So you know that's his that's his dream job. Um, um yeah. To, he'll come. <laughs> um, well, I will let you go. Well, wait, you real quick, you got to, you got something big today happening at IU. You got the spring uh, football game. Spring today. football, yes, yes, yes. It's the only uh, spring football game in the country where the fans are hoping that the defense shows up and and it's not as high scoring as it could be because if there's no defense, that Indiana offense might put up like a hundred some points. And Louisville, I heard about Louisville offense yesterday. Uh, I'm telling people don't get happy because you scrimmage the second street game uh, team, so you're going in ACC. Louisville better have a running game this year. I know they feel good about their running backs, so uh, but they also, uh, I mean, Will Gardner threw it around pretty efficiently yesterday for the Cards, and we'll be talking about that in our next segment with uh, with Mark Blank and Baker. But uh, okay, I'll holler at you later. Thanks a lot, Truth. All right, we're uh, we're having trouble getting hold of Jeff Rabjohns. Second time in a row, I might have to fire him. He's in he's in big trouble. He's in big big trouble. So uh, anyway, the IU IU has got their uh, spring football game today, starting at three o'clock. Um, I, and it says it's, it's going to be what has happened on that defense. And I don't know how much you can really tell from a, a first year defensive coordinator who's only gotten to work with these guys for, you know, was it 15 practices or whatever it, it is for spring football. And, uh, the new defensive coordinator, um, comes in and he's going to have to try to actually go with a, with a, a co-defensive coordinator, I guess, uh, William Inge and, and Brian Knorr, and they're and they're trying to change the defense because if Indiana can play just a, I mean this is so similar. Indiana football is so similar to the How Mummy days at UK, where their offense looks just unbelievable. They're putting up all these points, but their defense is just cannot stop anybody. So if their defense changes can uh, can make a huge impact. I mean they they're on the verge of having a pretty uh, impressive season in the Big Ten, and you know I. I the Big Ten's a conference where they can make some noise. I mean, it's not like it's again. I'm I'm one who believes that the Big Ten is not the Big Ten of yesteryear. This is not you know, Michigan State had a, an unbelievable season last year, um, but besides Michigan State and Ohio State, I don't think anyone's out of the question unbeatable. And really, I don't even know if Ohio State's unbeatable the way that uh, Indiana's played in the last couple of years. I'm just like looking at this team and thinking, you know, if they can get some semblance of defense, they could probably get close to going 500 in the Big Ten, which would be a huge, huge step for Indiana football. And uh, you know, seven or eight wins and go to a really respectable bowl game. Um, they had this has been just a, an unbelievable, disappointing sports year so far for Indiana with the basketball team underachieving the way they did, and the football team had the high expectations last year but just couldn't really get it going. They have a very favorable schedule. You know, they still play. Uh, they play. They continue to play Missouri, which I think is a really good matchup for them because it'll show that. You know, obviously Missouri ended up playing unbelievable last year and, and being like the story of the SEC. But um, that so that could be a, a signature non-conference win. They've got uh, three non-conference games that they should be able to handle pretty easily with Indiana State, Bowling Green, and North Texas. And then you're looking at you know a, a pretty respectable Big Ten schedule. I mean, you would have to think that they're going to that they're going to be uh, at least favorite in a home game with Maryland. Iowa at Iowa's not a uh, out of the question. Michigan State would probably be a tough one. Then they got a Michigan right after that. Penn State's still re- rebuilding. 
They've got Rutgers coming in to the conference, and, and they're going to be there. Um, Purdue's not very good. And Ohio State, I mean, you look at that, and th those are some very winnable games. And so the defensive how, – how much the defense improves for IU is going to be the key. And, and seeing that defense today for Indiana fans, they know what they have offensively. They know they've got studs galore. They know they can put up video game numbers. But just looking at the, um, the schemes – is really important for you know to see the scheme change for IU football on 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 the defensive side of the football. So uh, and then you know we we go back and talk basketball a little bit with IU and you know I'm I am actually a Tom Crean uh, fan. Um, I love his coaching staff up there at IU. They've been great to us at the Derby Classic. They're coming off really two disappointing seasons, and it's hard to say when you're a one seed. You know, a couple years ago, that's a disappointing year. But when they lose the the way they did to Syracuse, and they don't really advance um, as far as they as IU fans thought they could have advanced, I don't know if he necessarily had to win national title. Uh, but I think Indiana fans were expecting a Final Four uh, or at least an Elite Eight. And then to to know what roster challenges you had. Now, no one would have thought for sure that Luke Fisher would have transferred mid year. Um, so you can't really anticipate that. But the roster management being the way that it has been, where now you're very limited down low um, with the size that you have coming back, that you might have to go and look at playing a very similar uh, lineup to what Indiana – no, I'm sorry, Wisconsin played last year, where they actually had a three guy like Sam Decker play the four – um, at least defensively, and go with four more perimeter guys on the outside and let Troy Williams, who's a very very similar player to Sam Decker. I don't think it's a great comparison comparing those two, but they're in the same kind of ballpark as type of player as they are. And uh, a six seven Troy Williams might be a better um might be a better uh thing to go with and then and then you got, you know, Hanner or Devin Davis. Uh, but they're going to be small. I mean, Devin Davis is again; he's only six seven. Hanner's six nine. Uh, Jerkin is seven foot, but um, we don't even know what to, what we can expect out of out of that kid. I mean, we have no reason to to think that he's going to step up and be the guy. I mean, this is the year for him. If he's going to have a chance to be, have a a breakout season in Indiana, this is his chance. And Peter Jerkin played in only eight games last year. Seven footer, only played eleven total minutes. For IU, and you kind of just wonder, you know, is this kid ever going to make the strides he needs to make? I mean, he, I would think that he's got so much focus on him in this offseason and getting him better. But when you only get, you know, he only had four rebounds, <laughs> I mean, it's not like you've got this incredible player coming back. He's got two points all last season. So it's a, it's a guy that they need to really bring along and hope that he can make an impact uh, and so that your your inside game is not just Hanner Pereira and Devin Davis and maybe even uh, Max Holtzel, who's really not 100% ready to step in and play right away major, major minutes. I mean, this is a kid that's going to have to get his feel a little bit, but he might be thrust into the situation. Um, and, and Indiana is going to have to rely uh, very much on the outside game Luckily, they've got some guys that can stroke it from the outside coming in. They got some guys that can take it to the rack. 
they're going to have to spread the floor, and they're going to probably live and die by the three next year. And uh, not saying they can't do it. They definitely have some serious weapons. Let's not forget, this team next year for IU is still going to have two McDonald's All-Americans on the on the squad. I mean, with Yogi and James Blackman Jr. And they still got and, – and Troy was right there a couple years ago. I mean, he would have definitely been in the conversation. Troy Williams is a, as that type of player, as that caliber of player. And then you've also got Stanford Robinson and you got Devin Davis. And you've got some guys that can – Still get it done for IU, but it's it's gonna have to, they're gonna have to really look at the way they play basketball, and if if they're unable to recruit a big man, and they are unable to uh, get into the NCAA tournament, I don't know how much of a rope Tom Crean gets. I mean, I uh, it, it's kind of like if you're hoping things are gonna get better, but it's it's showing that it might, it's probably not going to happen. You got to wonder how far are we going to take this thing, or what? T- when do we need to go ahead and make the change? And part of that is having the guys out there to make the change. And yeah, I know everybody would want Brad Stevens to come in, and, um, and that's probably even a little unfair, to Tom Cream, because Brad Stevens would be this kind of darling guy to kind of come in. And I and I'm not for sure that he would come in. I mean, I think that there. It is somewhat his dream job. I think he would have to listen about it. I think he would have to think long and hard about it. If he chose not to come in, though, who would IU go to? And I would think that they would go immediately and look at, like, a Greg Marshall at Wichita State because that is a guy who can recruit the Midwest. Um, They would be a great – his style of play in Indiana would be just welcomed. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about it. You give a guy like Greg Marshall those kind of – that kind of tradition to go after – I think he could do some really great things. So that's our IU update. I'm sorry we didn't get Jeff Rabjohns on. We'll have him on, I'm sure, at some point. If I give him a, a third chance now, because he's done this to me twice, uh, but I know he's my buddy, so he's he he must have had something come up. We'll come right back on the other side of this hour um, with Mark Blankenbaker from thecrunchzone.com. We'll talk a lot about Louisville football and how the spring game went last night for the U of L Cardinals. We'll be right back on 1450 The Sports Buzz. Listening to the weekend sports Every buzz. Light is Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Ford Lincoln Bus town. Line at 384. She's All right, we are back here. Hour two of the weekend sports buzz. Mike Gandolfo here uh, at Derby BB Classic is my. Uh, if you want to send me a tweet, and we are here again with the weekend sports buzz on 1450 WXVW. Uh, excited to be with you this morning on a beautiful Saturday morning, getting us ready for Thunder over Louisville. We got all Thunder songs leading us into the uh, to the in and out of breaks. Of course, got to have the Thunder theme. And I uh, just want to remind you again that the Weekend Sports Buzz is brought to you by Brandon J. Lawrence, personal injury attorney. Call 502-587-0041 to reach the best personal injury attorney in the city of Louisville. And uh, we're trying to get Mark Blankenbaker on the line right now uh, to talk about what had to be a pretty uh, encouraging spring game for the Louisville Cardinal fans, 27,500 show up last night to see the red team take on the white team and the red team putting up 699 yards of offense 
against uh, which I think loyal fans would say is a pretty good defense, even without Lorenzo Molden. So um, it was pretty impressive offense for the uh, for Petrino to start out, and I know that was pretty bare bones, um, pretty bare bones offense. Uh, they're just kind of showing their base offense, no no real scheme. Um, and I think we do have Mark Blankenbaker on the line right now. My former my former co-host, my cohort, my kindred spirit, Mark <laughs> Blankenbaker. How you doing, bud? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Did you see some points last night? Oh, yeah. There were a lot of points last night. And, uh, you know, it was a beautiful night for football, actually. Uh, I don't know if we could have picked a better night. No, they were talking about early in the week being a little – could even be a little wet, and it ended up being, like, just an incredible evening. And, uh, man, yeah. $2 beers, hanging out with your buddies, watching football, it couldn't have gotten any better. I don't think so. And there are a lot of former players that from the Petrina era that have that came back last night that hadn't been back since he left. And I don't know, it was just one of those nights where, yeah, the football team looked good, they had some things to work on, but overall it was a really happy time. Uh, and and – I left just thinking, man, that was a lot of fun. Well, and, uh, you know, it's a great night of football. And it started off fast. I mean, when you got the first drive of the game is a three-play, 75-yard drive that includes a 62-yard touchdown pass from Gardner to James Quick, which I'm sure that had to be pretty popular. I mean, everybody knows that what you're going to get out of Devontae Parker, but to see James Quick be put into that mix right out the bat had to be uh, an exciting thing. Yeah, and then we talked to James after the game, and that ball from Gardner to Quick was just absolutely on the money. You couldn't throw that ball any better. If it was Teddy Bridgewater, he couldn't have thrown it better. It was on the money. But we talked to James after the game, and he said, you know, it was kind of a relief that Petrino came because he goes, I know that Louisville will actually throw the football. And so, you know, I think that kind of echoed a lot of the frustrations with the fans of the of uh, you know the offense the last couple of years under Sean Watson and uh, Michael Bush even said, "Hey, the offense won't be boring anymore." And so uh, you know there was a lot of a lot of fun last night. I got to see a lot of these skill players that we've thought a lot of for a long time and felt like they were underutilized. And last night was on full display, and uh, you know back to being part of football. So uh, talk a little bit, little bit about what we saw on defense. I mean, uh, obviously, obviously Lorenzo. Uh, didn't play. Uh, was it a first-string offense and first-string defense versus second-string offense and second-string defense? Is that how That's they did? correct. Okay. That's correct. And some guys had to switch jerseys because they just they don't have the numbers right now with the right. seniors that graduated. And then they have quite a bit of guys, like more than just Lorenzo Malden, who had injuries, had surgery. They haven't. They didn't go through spring because of precautionary or because they're just not ready. So it was it was neat. Um, on defense, Louisville have a problem at safety. Um, that's like not a secret at all. It's just one of those things that they have to work through. They're going to have to find somebody either in the freshman class or this transfer that, that's coming in from Washington via JUCO, or or somebody's going to have to get healthy. Jermaine Reeves having surgery a couple weeks ago really set the Cardinals back in that regard. But they he was one answer. Louisville needs two answers to safety. And right now they don't have one, and that and Chucky Williams looked great on the white team, but he's on the white team. He's on the white team for a reason. Uh, Gerard Hallman, he was a McDonald, he was an Army All American, and he just hasn't panned out yet. He looked okay last night, uh, but you know, really, when you put the L.J. Scott on the white squad, you know, he he's making plays against the first team with second string offensive line, so you know he's going to be special. So it was a lot of fun, a lot of different things to see. 
but Louisville does have some things that they need to work on, replacing Calvin Pryor and, and Hakeem Smith at the safety position to become the elite team that they want to be. Who was the biggest surprise last night? The biggest surprise? Hmm. I mean, uh, that would be... That would be difficult to say. I, it might have to be Dyer because of how well he looked. Michael Dyer, we saw him kind of limp through the season um, last year, and he came off a sports hernia surgery in his groin, and everybody didn't, you know, everybody thought it would take him to the summer to really regain his his quickness and his cuts. And last night, it was on full display. I think he had three touchdowns and 150 yards. It was it was really impressive. Uh, Gerald Christian. Uh, looked amazing, but he that's not a surprise. Uh, uh, I don't know, to be honest. I'd have to sit down and think about who I was most surprised with. Uh, but uh, right now, uh, everybody looked good. I'm just looking for an answer to safety. <laughs> well, I hear that. So, and, and, you know, it looked like, besides a kid from Washington, I know the kid. if the kid from Georgia comes, he's still got to sit out a year. But, um, you know, it looks like they're actively trying to solve that problem for sure. Um, I also... Just wanted to ask if, if Will Gardner were happy to go down and they had to go to Kyle Boland, kind of talk about what you saw out of him. Um, well, if Will Gardner goes down right now, that's going to fall to Brett Nelson. Okay. Brett Nelson right now would be your number two. Um, Boland right now just doesn't have the arm strength or the confidence to to really play that second role. Nelson, he made some plays. You know, they both threw at a low percentage, which you'd like to see, you know, go up. But Nelson was at least willing to go downfield, whereas Kyle Boland really he kept it within two or three yards of the line of scrimmage the entire night. He had a higher completion percentage because of that. But right now, Louisville does not have a great answer at number two uh, quarterback, and that's going to be something that they're going to continue to look at all fall camp, and it's going to be a debate if Will Gardner goes down, what point in the season, if he does go down, does that happen? Is Louisville a uh, contender for conference? Uh, it, you know, it, and do you, do you take the red shirt off Reggie Bonifant? <laughs> yeah. Right. So that'll be really the, the thing. How far along is Reggie? Uh, and, you know, hopefully they don't have to come to that because last year Teddy Bridgewater was the first quarterback uh, to really go through an entire season healthy since like 2003 oh, for Louisville. So, so the, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, the odds are against you. Uh, and that was you know, with the, that was with a suspect offensive line. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So yeah, Teddy. Yeah, you know, a lot of times quarterbacks have to miss time. And but Teddy did get nicked up in the Memphis game, um, and had a little back issue, but he was able to get ten days to recover. Mm-hmm. And really, that that's the difference between. I mean, Louisville had three bye weeks last last year, which is unprecedented, really, in college football. So they were able to keep a lot of their guys more healthy than they would have been able to if they only had the two-by season like well, most teams do. And next year, they're going to be in a two-by season because they have to play the ACC championship game last week of the year. Right. But hopefully, you know, they have to, they have to at least, well, they at least have to, yeah, scheduled for it, right. So, yeah. uh, well, I mean, so it sounds like, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that you could lose a guy who did as much as he did in a guy like Charlie Strong and almost feel like you upgraded your coaching position. But, I mean, if I'm a Louisville fan going into the ACC, I, I probably feel much better about going into it with Petrino than I do uh, with Charlie. Yeah, I mean, there's some things that, Charlie's got, that Charlie and those guys would do um, that, 
you know, are maybe better than, than the staff, but not offensively. Offensively, you love your team. And defensively, you know, you have a guy, defensive coordinator, who was, you know, in the NFL and just, and you know, a year ago, the last draft put seven guys in the NFL draft. So he knows what he's doing. Last year, Georgia was struggled on, on defense because of those seven guys they lost to the NFL into graduation. And then uh, they had a rash of injuries. It was just unprecedented in college football. But and they also played one of the toughest uh, schedules in the nation last year. They still, you know, we're in the top 40 in total defense. So Todd Grantham knows what he's doing. The roster is stacked. That's one thing Charlie Strong did in his, in his group. They, they really put their roster together, and they made it built to last. Now, there's a problem at safety, but they had a guy graduate early, or not, right. not graduate early, leave early, and Calvin Pryor's going to be a first-round pick. So, you know, not really in the plan. And, you know, they have some good options that are, that are injured and they are coming in, and uh, we'll see. It, it, it will work itself out. But right now, you've got to love this, this roster, this staff, and it all kind of is coming together at the right time. And it's just a matter of the offense learning the playbook, the defense finding a couple answers. It was interesting to me listening to Petrino's press conference earlier this week about him talking about how they will go ahead and start the game plan for Miami next week. Yeah. That's, that, oh, yeah. That kind of preparation, I, 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 is that normal? It is for Bobby Petrino. Um, I know that when I, I was in school and he was on campus, you, you actually – know Petrino quite a bit as well. Yes. Um, you know, you might have two or three game plans for every team, for especially some of the bigger games, you know, before the summer even happens, and that game may happen in October right. or November. Uh, he, he's got a plan, and he's obviously going to adjust that plan as the season goes along, but, you know, yeah, I think it's normal for him. He's got he's to be busy. He's got he's to look at Miami, but I think Miami's going to look a lot different than they did in that Russell Athletic Bowl. Um, when you get Duke Johnson available, he's going to change that team. He's, he's a stud. Make them. He's an absolute stud. He was not available. And they do lose their tight end, but they're going to bring back Philip Dorsett at the wide receiver position. If they can find a quarterback to deliver the football, stretch that field uh, for Duke, then you know that could be a really outstanding football game to start the season on, on Labor Day. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Um, it's kind of a tease to see a spring game and see everybody and and get everybody looking good, and then have it just taken away from you for and all the way until you know August <laughs> and September one. But uh, you know that's the world we live in. And uh, the only thing I would say is like, I, if I could change anything about the spring games, I would actually eliminate the FCS schedule uh, game from the schedule, play them, the FCS opponent in the spring. That'd be kind of interesting. Uh, and uh, and you know, sell ticket, make it a ticketed event. And, you know, see what your twos and threes can do against you know an FCS school. And if you lose the game, you lose the game. It doesn't hurt you. It's, right. You, know, you hold your people out, and, uh, you know, that's it. Um, so real quick, we only got a couple minutes left, but to go to basketball. Also, big news last night for kind of for Louisville basketball, Gorgie Zhang looking impressive again, hitting a last-second shot to win the game for the Timberwolves. Um, yeah. It's incredible what he's been able to do and the transformation. It, ever, it seems like ever since he scored on the wrong basket, he was almost so, and yeah, I could totally see Gorgie being so embarrassed by doing something like that that he just completely refocuses himself and just like goes to work. And uh, yeah, and uh, that's hilarious. And and he's been incredible. I mean, player of the month last week or last month, and uh, it's been great. But this Louisville basketball program going into the ACC and losing 
their two senior leaders, or even their three senior leaders, you want to include Van Treese and then even Tim Henderson, as, as before. What does this team need to do in the offseason to get them ready for ACC play? Well, I, I, honestly, I mean, they got to grow up, and they have to find that self-motivated uh, part of themselves. Wayne Blackshear, in particular. I think Terry Rozier has that self-starter mentality. Uh, you know, there's a couple other guys like Chris Jones who really love the game and love to put in the work. Wayne Blackshear needs to put in the work. We don't know what Montrez Harrell is going to do. I think everybody pretty much assumes and, you know, I, I even say probably 99% chance he's going to the NBA. If he comes back, he's another lead. He's a leader that you really need along with Terry Rozier and Chris Jones to say, hey, let's get everybody together. And if they can find that togetherness and find some, find some options in the front court, Mango Mathiang is going to have his hands full with Shinanu Onowaku. Uh, and, you know, that's going to be a really big battle um, for the starting center position. So if Montrez leaves, they got to the final power forward. They're going to have some decent options center. Uh, and then they're going to have some projects center. And I think you're going to see a red shirt. But really, these guys just need to find the hunger to go out and put in the work during the summertime to go and win a championship. So and that's that's really when championships are won. Yeah, because it's going to be interesting to me, to, and that's you brought up the point. But who, which one of these guys steps up to be that leader? I mean, it should be Blackshear. It but, should be Blackshear. You know, you're, you're, he's a senior. He's your only McDonald's All American, and and uh, Patino even said he's the only player I've ever had my entire time at Louisville that has not improved. And that was a shot across his bow to say, look. It's time to get going. Right. You know, he says when he goes to work, when he goes to practice, he puts in work. He has good effort and energy. He just doesn't do anything extra, and that is some people just don't have that in them. And right. You can't you can't inject that into somebody. It has to be a part of their DNA. It's, right now, it's not a part of Wayne Blackshear's DNA. Hopefully, it is becoming that this summer. Um, but you know, if it doesn't, like Patino said, the world will pass him by, and he'll have you know kind of squandered a lot of talent so we'll see what he does all right buddy i appreciate you coming on all right man we'll talk to you soon have a good thunder thank you all right we are going to take a quick break on the other side of the break is going to be evan daniels from scout.com and we will be talking about the derby classic rosters we'll be right back on 1450 the sports buzz Listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Ford Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. All right, we are back here on the Weekend Sports Buzz. Mike Ndolfo here at Derby BB Classic. Uh, the Weekend Sports Buzz brought to you by Brand J. Lawrence, personal injury attorney. And uh, we are ready to go with the Derby Classic this week. It's, uh, it's of course, a big week for me. Um, I am uh, pretty much shut down after Tuesday, and um, and I, I sleep a lot on Saturday, but that's okay. But breaking down the uh, the Derby Classic rosters with me is my man Evan Daniels. Evan, how's it going? Doing well, Mike. Doing well. I know it's a big week for you, man. I'm excited for you. It should be a great event. I appreciate it very much, and I appreciate um, all you do to help out. And uh, you know, Evan, if people don't know, is a local guy from uh, Louisville Mail, lives in Lexington, but he's 
uh, you know, you're the you are the the main man when it comes to basketball recruiting, and uh, I'm real happy that you know. Looks like you're gonna be able to come this year, right? You there? Yeah, you're gonna be able to come this year to the game. Cut now on. I think we're losing. We're gonna try to get him back on, Matt. Evan, you got us. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, cool. So you're gonna be able to make it out to the game this year, right? That's the plan. That's the plan. I'm I'm excited about it, man. I think you did a really good job. This roster. I mean, uh, I get a base game at 19 Ohio, um, but it's full of top 50 prospects, and uh, I think it's good. All right, we're uh, Evan's cutting in and out. We're actually gonna we're gonna we'll try to get a better connection with Evan here. Hold on for a second, and we'll be right back. But it, Evan's, uh, you know, we might have some problems here, the cell phone problems or something. But we'll get Evan back on the line. But I think Evan was talking about Kate Bates Jop, who uh, he's part of a, a small forward group that's coming in that I just really like, uh, and I think there's a lot of these small forwards that are coming to the Derby class of this year that. We could see play at the next level of the NBA. Uh, Kata is definitely one of them. He was a, he was a snub for the McDonald's All American game. He was, um, in all estimations, a top twenty five player in the class. Uh, but there's a lot of really good small forwards in this class as well. Um, another guy that on his on his team that I like is that is Devin Robinson, and Devin is uh, is a guy that is making the transition from the four to the three. We got Evan on the line now. All right, Evan. What's up, man? All I right, don't that's, know what's going on. I'm, I'm driving to Cincinnati. That's probably what it is. Yeah, you know that once you get closer to Ohio, they just mess with our phone lines, and uh, it happens. But uh, you were you were talking about Kata uh, Bates' job. I think when you started to cut out, and um, I was starting to expand on that a little bit, just about the overall group of small forwards that we have kind of coming in. Uh, and I'm including Devin Robinson in that group. I know you have him listed as a power forward. Do you think he's going to be a power forward or or a small forward at the college level? You know, I, I think he, at this point he's a combo forward. I, I like him as a stretch four man. I, I think uh, I think that's probably how Florida will utilize him. They like to step out their fours if they can. Um, and uh, I think he's a guy that can really shoot the basketball at six eight. He's got a lengthy arm. He's a good athlete. Uh, like I said, a very good shooter. And he's developing his ball skills. You know, I, I worry when when you get to those six eight pushing six nine forwards that they're going to be able to defend threes consistently. Um, but he, he's going to be a terrific player either way. I'm sure Billy Donovan will probably use him at both spots. And then a uh, small forward on the other side, Dwayne Morgan, I think has got a tremendous upside. And, man, UNLV's just put together this monster class. Yeah, they really have. Dwayne Morgan's a heck of an athlete. Uh, he, he's got those quick twitch muscles. He gets up and down the floor really well. He's starting to develop his jump shot, and he's a hard worker. And you're right, UNLV does have a very good class. Good luck, Okanobo, also going there. Uh, one of the top shot blockers in the country. Um, so, yeah, I'm expecting a lot of Dwayne Morgan, not only at this game, but out of this freshman season. And we also got some pretty highly thought-of point guards coming in. Uh, Louisville fans, of course, will want to see Quentin Snyder, but he's going to have a very tough matchup going head-to-head with a guy like Romello Trimble. Yeah, well, that's going to be a terrific matchup. And, you know, you know what's interesting is both of those guys are high-level shooters. Uh, I think... Um, if you're comparing the two, I think Quentin's probably a little bit better passer and uh, more of a setup guy, where Romello's uh, a, probably a, a little bit better scorer. So they're kind of different in that regard. I, I think Romello's probably more of a true combo than a true one, where Quentin, I think, is a true one, and I think that's the position he's going to play. 
uh, in college, whereas Romello, I think you'll see him play with the ball in his hands, but I think you'll also see him play off. The uh, the thing about Quinn, you know, and you said it too, I've always been telling people that he's a pass-first point guard. Like, he's best when he's getting everybody else involved and setting everyone else up. And to be that kind of a point guard and to break Allen Houston's scoring record is phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a terrific high school player. Uh, you know, I actually, I, I remember, I, I attempt and, and try not to see these players until they're in high school, but I actually stumbled upon him when he was in eighth grade. So I've been following that kid for for five years. It's been fun to watch him develop it. His game has really developed. Uh, he's a tremendous prospect. We have him number 32 in the country. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, he's a setup guy. So he, he can really pass. He's also a high-level shooter, and he's really worked and improved on his mid-range game. And, you know, it's funny, with Quentin, you know, you, you're, he's never going to wow you athletically or impress you from a speed standpoint, but he always gets to where he needs to go on the floor. He, it's almost like he's deceptive and quick. And I agree. I mean, I think so. he's good at setting up his guy and, and getting to where he needs to get to. And um, Let's talk real quick about the other two Louisville kids coming in, Jalen Johnson and Shinani Wanawaku. You know, I, I think Shinanu is a guy that's going to be able to help them right away and and maybe their most important incoming recruit. He's not their their highest rated, um, but he's pretty important because they need some they need some beef inside. I, I actually think he could have helped Louisville's team this past year just because he's such a good rebounder and he's a forcer inside. You know, he'll get his hands on some shots, but he owns his area from a rebounding standpoint. Still some developing to do on the offensive end, but has the tools to be good. Uh, I think he's going to be a pretty good player for Louisville down the road. Jalen Johnson, he's a kid that's a full year young for his grade, uh, moves really well. He's a very good athlete, good set of hands, can make a mid-range jump shot. He's going to need to add some strength and, and continue to develop go-to moves uh, from a scoring standpoint. But I think athletically and with his mobility, he's very gifted. Well, and he's the guy that uh, the one thing that he's going to bring to the table that no one else is is, is his mom. Because his mom's hilarious. <laughs> She's going to be in the fourth run. It's very funny. And she will definitely tell you that she holds the all-time Shop record at Westcott. There you go. So uh, she was a, a hell of a player herself. And uh, um, let's get to the Indiana guys real quick. Uh, a guy I know that a lot of people are going to see is Robert Johnson. And then I think Indiana fans are going to be curious to see what kind of players because they've heard mixed things about a guy like Max Holzel. Yeah, I mean the thing about both those guys, they're high level shooters. Uh, Robert is, is probably a true combo guard. Uh, we list him at the two spot, but he's certainly a guy that can play on the ball. Uh, he's a high-level shooter. Probably, I would actually say that maybe the two best shooters in the 2014 class are both going to Indiana, uh, Robert Johnson and James Black. And uh, so, so Robert certainly brings shooting to the table, and uh, I think he'll probably spend some time playing on the ball, too. Hoytel's a step-out four-man that can really shoot the ball, about 6'7". Uh, that, that, that's where his strength lies, is shooting the basketball. And we got a couple other kind of local kids of note. I'm going to go with a, a kid that I like a lot, and, it's kind of undervalued, I think, to a certain degree. Is Trevon Blewett going to Xavier, and he's from Indianapolis, part tutor. He is a tad undervalued, and I think a lot of that, you know, if you want to, I don't love comparisons, as you know, unless they really jump out at me. And, you know, one that kind of jumps out at me with Trevon Blewett is maybe Jordan Adams. Well, I don't know if he's going to be quite that good. The way their body types are very similar, um, and they're both high-level scorers. Trevon can flat-out score. He really shoots the ball well. Uh, he's comfortable shooting off the dribble. Uh, not going to wow you or impress you athletically, but he's skilled and he can really make shots. And then uh, another one, and uh, this is a name that hits 
very close to home, especially with Louisville fans because he was a Louisville commit. Uh, now going to Oregon, Jaquan Lyle. Yeah, Jaquan, he's had such an interesting high school career, but he's a heck of a talent. And uh, he's very skilled. He likes to play with the ball in his hands. He's good at it. He can really pass. He's improved himself as a scorer over the past year and a half, two years. And he's a tough, hard-nosed dude, man. He's tough to stop because he's so versatile. And he sees the floor so well and can really pass. Uh, I, I really like him as a player. Um, he's currently ranked in our top 30 in the entire country. So where do you see him playing at the next level? I mean, he was a point guard coming up, but he's kind of gone back and forth, especially being at Huntington Prep and having to play with Perkins and uh, yeah. and playing a little bit more on the wing. Uh, Oregon's got a really think, good point guard already. I think you'll see him play in both positions. I, I think that's part of what makes him valuable is his versatility and ability to uh, fill different roles. Now, I think he's probably always going to have to defend the two of the three. But uh, I think on offense, you could do some different things with him. I think he'll play a lot with the ball in his hands. I think he'll play a lot off it. You know, I, I think one of the most important things about his development is his ability to shoot and all-around score. You know, he used to primarily just play on the ball, and nobody thought he could play off it. I think he's developed those skills and um, like I said, I think that's what makes it valuable, his versatility and ability to fill a couple different roles. All right, we already talked about a couple. Uh, one SEC guy with Devin Robinson. Let's talk about his future teammates, uh, Chris Chioza uh, and, and Brandon Francis. You know, Chioza and Francis are both headed to Florida, as you mentioned. And, and Chioza's a, a small point guard, but he's got good speed. He, he has good IQ. He can make shots. And, and Francis is um, – He's actually playing out in the Nike Hoop Summit right now. Um, but he's a 6-4, I guess, combo forward. He's another one, or combo guard. He's another one that likes to play with the ball in his hands. He's very good with his hands, actually. Very very good passer. And I don't consider him a point guard, but I think passing is probably what he does best. He's going to have to improve his long-range shooting, but he's a tough, hard-nosed dude, very competitive, uh, had a really strong summer. And a couple guys, I, I know you're a Jason Smith fan, and we got Jason coming back again to coach this year. Uh, and he's bringing two guys with him that that I really like a lot, uh, Jonah Bolden and Isaac Copeland. Yeah, both of those guys had tremendous senior season. Jonah Bolden's a kid out of Australia, headed to UCLA at 6'9". Uh, he can do quite a bit. He's a very good area rebounder. He's mobile. He can step out and make mid-range jump shots. Solid athlete. Scores his back to the rim. I think he's a high-level pickup for UCLA. And Isaac Copeland, I thought he was one of the most improved players on the entire country this past year. At 6'8", he's very athletic. Uh, seems to have gotten more athletic as his high school career goes on. went on. He runs rim-to-rim very well, but offensively, he can do quite a bit now. He's got good hands, good touch, can step out and make jump shots with consistency. He's active. He'll rebound. He's going to need to get stronger. Uh, but I think he's a high-level pickup for Georgetown, and uh, I think he's going to see the floor early there. He He's had a tremendous high school season. He's a kid that caught my eye uh, his sophomore summer playing for Gardner-Webb and just uh, thought he had a tremendous upside and then got to play with Anton Gill and Isaiah Hicks last year and uh, with that Gardner-Webb program. And I just I really like his game, too. I think he's he can be a really a good big-time force at Georgetown. All right, uh, it's, it's, I, go ahead. I would say it just, he just keeps improving. He clearly is a hard worker because I think he's made tremendous strides over the last year. Uh, the two last guys on the green team that we haven't mentioned yet, 
Uh, Deion Wiley and Jared Nickens both going to Maryland. You know, what's interesting about out, uh, Maryland is what they've done with their class and, and ability to get guys that can make shots. And Deion Wiley's a shot maker. He's skilled, uh, bigger guard, uh, but he can really shoot the ball for three. He can make mid-range jump shots. He's strong. Uh, I like that pickup to Maryland. I, I think he's he's going to provide a scoring impact for them, especially now if they've lost Nick Faust and Roddy Peters. They're going to need some guys to come in and, and have an impact. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, especially when you get, and they you got a guy like Dez Wells still there, and uh, Dion and Dez and, and Romello will be a pretty formidable backcourt, I would think. So, uh, and the last guy that we have that we've got to talk about, uh, Bonzi Colson going to Notre Dame, Rhode Island's Player of the Year. Un- undersized power forward, but he is active. He will really rebound. Uh, I think that's where his, his biggest value is, and I think re- rebounding is one of those things that translates to college in a major way. Um, he can make mid-range jump shots, has good hands, he's active, he plays hard, he's tough. Uh, he'll do the dirty work. Yeah, and his coach, uh, Mike Hart, who's coached in the derby class before, I mean, he, he can't talk enough about this kid, just about how great his attitude is and, and how really he just really gets after it. So, All right, so it sounds like I'm going to have a really uh, competitive three-point shooting contest, which should, be, uh, which should be good. So I just want to remind Evan, I really appreciate you coming on. I, I know you had a busy day ahead of you, so I appreciate it a whole lot. And I want to remind people that they can go to Ticketmaster.com and get their Derby Classic tickets. It's not too late. And they get for their one low ticket price, they get both events, the Night of the Future Stars on Thursday night at the at Floyd Central and then the game at Freedom Hall on Friday night. And we hope to see all you guys out there. Um, Evan, I will see you this week. Sounds great, man. Good all right. luck with everything. Thanks, bud. All right, we are going to take a quick, bec- quick, quick break. And uh, we're going to come back and talk a little horse racing with Brian the Insider. We'll be right back on the Weekend Sports Buzz. All right, sports fans, we are right back here for the final segment of the fourth, of the uh, Weekend Sports Buzz brought to you by Brandon J. Lawrence, personal injury attorney. Getting ready for Thunder Over Louisville, which, of course, is the official kickoff to the Derby Festival events, leading us up to the fastest two minutes in sports, the Kentucky Derby, Derby 140 at, uh, at Churchill Downs. It is going to be an exciting, exciting race. And uh, to break it down, we have Brian the Insider with us. Brian, how's it going? Oh, good morning, Mike. How are you doing? I am doing great. I am. Uh, I, I was mentioning that uh, early in the show that I got to hear John Asher speak uh, Thursday, and he was uh, telling us how this uh, this Derby field is kind of like the NCAA tournament this year, where it's so wide open. Where we have we've had thirty one prep races that have been won by twenty eight different horses. Yeah, yeah, it's really amazing, and today's no different. Uh, uh, with the bluegrass uh, at Keeneland, which is the uh, annual prep from Keeneland to get into the Derby, there's 13 horses in that. Uh, Pletcher's got three in the bluegrass, and it is it's a wide open field for that. But before I get into the Derby preps, Mike, I want to congratulate you on another outstanding roster for the Derby Classic. That's just unbelievable what you've been able to accomplish. And uh, being a basketball fan, I appreciate it, and thank you very much. I appreciate that a whole lot, bro. Brian, uh, you know, it's, it does take a little bit of work, but it's, it's also a yeah. lot of fun. 
Hey, before I get into the Derby, I want to point out that the reigning two-time horse of the year, Wise Dan, uh, ran yesterday in the Makers 46 mile at Keeneland, and he did not disappoint. Uh, the seven-year-old gelding, uh, who's the all-time stakes winner, winning horse at Keeneland, was very impressive. So, uh, you know the Derby's around the corner when the seven-year-old gutsy gelding wins again, and uh, he may be horse of the year again. But as I mentioned, there's two major preps today. The Bluegrass at Keeneland and the Arkansas Derby at Oaklawn. And as you mentioned, Mike, they're both wide open. And with the exception of this prohibitive favorite that I think we're going to have in California Chrome, the modestly bred California bred with the, uh, the great story with the trainer, uh, Art Sherman, this is a completely wide open uh, derby. And today is wide open. After today's two races, the only way you can get into the derby field uh, they're going to have the uh, Lexington Stakes run next Saturday, and uh, their 100-point races today, they put that on there. It's a 10-point for the winner. For anybody on the bubble uh, that might want to try to sneak into the Derby, we'll have one last opportunity next week in the Lexington. But for all intents and purposes, today's major preps are it. And, boy, I tell you what, what a great betting race for both of them. Well, that 10 points at the uh, at the at the Lexington Stakes could make the difference with how close these Horses are in points at the twenty, you know, around the twenty point rank, and that, and and John brought up the point that, uh, you know, three weeks ago the favorite for the Derby might have been Cairo Prince, and he's on the uh, on the bubble of even getting in the race. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Now he did get good news, Cairo Prince. I'm glad you mentioned him. He's a very well thought of. A three-year-old, and he he just because of some ailments, he didn't get the prep season going. He's got 24 points. He did get good news this week. Two horses that had enough points to get in, uh, their connections have pulled them out. Toast of New York, which would have taken a lot of money just on its name, uh, who won the UAE Derby in Dubai. They've made the decision that they are not going to run him in the Kentucky Derby, but they're going to keep him over and and run him in the Epson Derby in England. So he won't be coming. And then Baird and Jones, the former governor, he's got a nice horse named Albino. Albano. And Albano, uh, Larry Jones is the trainer. He's decided he's a late three-year-old and he's just not quite ready. So both of those had the points. They've been pulled from consideration, which is great news for a horse like Cairo Prince. And then we got a lot of bubble horses today going. Uh, strong Mandate, uh, D. Wayne Lucas, a very good horse. Right on Curlin, a horse I like, Commissioner, uh, Coastline. They're all trying to get the necessary points today because there's a lot of points being rewarded today. And uh, as I said, I think we're going to pretty much have a pretty solid feel after today, Mike, as to what this Derby 140 field looks like. Well, strong mandate's a horse that if he gets in, it's a horse that could really make some noise in the Derby. Oh, I agree, hundred percent. I think he finished third in the juvenile. Uh, he he's got a he's got a good foundation on him, as right on Curlin does. What I mean by that is that he's been run. Uh, you know, so many of these horses, and we've got one. Baffert's got one going today at Oaklawn Bayern. He's two for two. Uh, very talented and very well may win the Oaklawn, but you know we've got 140 years of Derby history to kind of guide us as to what kind of uh, preparation it takes to actually get the garland of roses around your neck on Derby Day, and and it it shows us that experience does help. 
when you get into a 20 horse field going a mile and a quarter for the first time as none of these horses have done uh, that that foundation that strong mandate and ride on Curlin have really could be so both of those uh, I like a lot I like strong mandate I think he'll get in I think he'll run good today it's always great to have D Wayne Lucas in the Derby field um, but uh, it's interesting to see the different paths a lot of these horses it seems like every year Mike they're going with less experienced horses like this Bayern uh, that, you know, one, two, three preps coming in and then boom, they're, they're on that big stage. And then if they win the big, the big one, then they've really got to turn it around for the Preakness and the Belmont in short order, which normally doesn't give them the foundation to go on. Uh, you, well, let's talk real quick about California Chrome, who the winner of the San Diego Derby. And this horse, we, you and I were talking off the air is it's going into this race, you know, looking as good as any Derby contender could possibly look. The story behind this horse is amazing, and it's it's a story that you if you if you love horse racing, you got to love. Um, yeah, it's something else. And, and I tell you, what's really amazing is is the story of the seventy seven year old trainer Art Sherman, right? Uh, yeah, he uh, he was actually the exercise rider on the nineteen fifty five uh, Derby winner. And uh, he, he, when that California horse uh, was shipped over in 55, uh, Art Sherman actually, as an 18-year-old exercise rider, had to ride next to the horse uh, in, uh, slept on a bale of hay from a train from California to Churchill Downs. Now, almost, what, 60 years later, he's back with his own horse. He said he'd never come back unless he had a horse that he thought could win. And, you know, you and I talked about it, Mike. This horse really has very modest pedigrees out of a lucky pulpit. Uh, who is out of pulpit, obviously, uh, which is a very good pedigree, but uh, uh, first-time mayor, uh, I think it was an unraced mayor that uh, uh, California Chrome came out of. But, boy, I tell you what, when they, when they line them up in the Derby, uh, the pedigree is important, but, man, if you can run, nobody cares where you're, you know, how you've come out of it. And, boy, can California Chrome run. He has not... He has been extremely impressive. Uh, I, I can't remember a horse really coming into the Derby just looking like the dominant horse, but that means nothing on Derby Day. As we know, there's so many variables that go into winning the Kentucky Derby, but it is a great story, and that's really what the Derby's all about. Great horses and great stories. Well, the, the story that John Asher told me was that you know this group of businessmen bought this mare, uh, loved the chase, for $8,000. It, yeah. it was basically six guys that just wanted to get a racehorse, and they bred her, uh, and the, when the supposedly when they bought her, some groom was walking by and and said, you know, you have to be a dumb uh, blank <laughs> to buy to buy that mare for eight thousand dollars. Bred her to Lucky Pulpit for twenty five hundred bucks, and now so you basically you get this fold that you basically have ten grand into, and you're the favorite for the Kentucky Derby. There's no other major sport in the world where that something like that can happen. No, and and you know, and that's it. That's really what makes the Derby so special. So you can't really buy the Derby. A lot of people have tried. Look at the uh, the money the Sheiks have poured into horse racing, which has been very good for horse racing, and they desperately want to win a Derby. But and they, and they spend tons of money at the Keeneland sales and they buy the best pedigrees and everything looks right, but they, they have never got the race. And, you know, we see, uh, well, right on Curlin, who's in the Arkansas Derby today, after he won impressively at Churchill in the fall, they turned down a lot of money for that horse. Uh, but you know, talking about money, uh, read where California Chrome was offered going into the Santa Anita Derby. He was offered 
for 51% ownership in California Chrome, the ownership, which is a modest ownership group, turned down $6 million. Now, Mike, <laughs> they got to keep 49% of the horse and, they, and $6 million bucks in the bank, and they said, no thanks. Have you seen the horse run? We'll take our chances May 3rd. <laughs> wow, and that's incredible. And you, you mentioned you know being able to buy the Derby, and I think the, the best uh, – uh, example of that is the gray ghost you know native dancer you know vanderbilt's only shot ever and that and he was the the horse and mm -hmm. uh and just didn't get the trip he needed to get and came up a little bit short and uh yeah it's it's funny to to think that you could put ten thousand dollars into a horse and then it could be worth six million dollars for half the ownership so yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's just incredible and I, i'm so excited about this derby from that standpoint it's just because it is so wide open and um who, if you didn't go with California Chrome, who is your your next couple picks? Man, I tell you, Mike, and I take it real serious. I don't know yet. Uh, you know, I, I really like to analyze and watch the races. I really haven't gotten that far, not knowing what the field is. I tell you, you know, there's an interesting horse in the the bluegrass today. Uh, Dale Romans, locally, you know, Louisville kid, grew up on the backside of Churchill Downs. He ran a. I was at Keeneland last Friday for opening day, and they have their traditional Transylvania Stakes, which is run on the grass. Well, because of the wet conditions, it was taken off the grass and put back on the polygraph and a horse named metal count trained by dale romans won impressively that day D dale was able to convince the ownership to wheeling back with seven days rest oh geez old and school he's running, yeah, old school and i like it and i expect that horse to run well today and you know for sure that if he wins the reason they're wheeling him back is they want a ticket into the kentucky derby it amazes me mike how, you know, with these so many wealthy owners that have just about everything that they need in life, that just to get in the starting gate at Churchill Downs is such a rush that it seems like almost anything will be done to get there. Well, let's talk about the best local chance that, that we have for that. And, uh, you know, a, a local owner that actually lives in the Louisville city limits has not won the Derby since 1906. But we do have that horse, a potential and intense holiday. Yeah, yeah, out of Harlan's Holiday, uh, excellent horse. Uh, Harlan's Holiday, you know, just coincidentally, as a sire, has died recently. So he's he's been very prominent as a sire in a lot of the Derby preps. But yeah, very good horse, and and seems to have the pedigree to get the mile and a quarter. Uh, but boy, I tell you what, it's 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 so difficult to handicap the Derby that uh, you know the very first thing you got to do is not just wait till after the preps are done and the horses get in it, but traditionally there'll be three or four horses from the time that the you know you think you're in that'll come up and some of the most uh, spectacular bids a great example uh maybe the best race horse of our time derby morning showed up with uh, a nail in his foot and had to be scratched so i mean it it's it's a moving target uh you really got to do your homework and then after you've done your homework and you've spent all the time, you need the racing gods to help you with the good luck because, you know, like California Chrome, who, who looks like the dominant horse, uh, he, he's had a problem his last two races where he breaks slowly. Hasn't hurt him in these short fields out in California, but come Kentucky Derby Day, if you don't break sharply, you can be shuffled back, bumped around, uh, have the wind knocked out of you, and, and before you know it, before you get to the first turn at Churchill Downs, you're out of the race. I mean, there's virtually no shot for you, and it happens all the time. So it's not typically the best horse that wins. It's the one that is best on that day and has the best trip. 
Well, I'm excited because I know the, that whole week I'll be out on that backside in the morning. There's no better place in Kentucky than backside of Churchill Downs on Derby Week and, uh, in the morning. I'm, I'm really excited, and I, I hope that uh, you can come back on with us maybe in two weeks and we can uh, break it down a little bit further. I'd love to, Mike. I like I like being on the show and really like listening to the basketball that you've done. And thanks again for putting together another solid roster for the Derby Classic. I appreciate it, Brian. We'll, uh, we'll check in with you in a couple weeks. Okay. Have a great day. All thanks. Right. All right, so that's uh, that's our action-packed show today. We got a little bit of everything in there. Uh, you know, we talked a little from baseball to the Masters to all three schools in football and basketball and, and then finished it up with a little bit of horse racing. Uh, I just want everybody to know that they need to go out there and, and be safe today at, at Thunder. Uh, have your wits about you and make sure that you have a good time. Um, I'm certainly going to go out there and have a great time and enjoy this fantastic weather. I'm so excited. The Derby Festival is here. Um, we will probably be taking a hiatus next week, and we will be back in two weeks because of the basketball game. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting back with you here on the Weekend Sports Buzz. Uh, this is Mike Gandolfo. I'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs>